for redeeming our lives from destruction. We thank you for everything that you've done in our lives, Lord Jesus. And today again, as your people, simply and wholeheartedly, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for breaking the power of sin in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for healing and restoring our minds. Thank you, Jesus, for not leaving us when everybody else would have given up on us. Thank you, Jesus, even though our way may have been strange, even though the way in which you have led us may not have been the way in which we would have gone. Lord, we thank you for the blessings that you've loaded our lives with. The very thing of peace alone is worth everything to us. The comfort of your Holy Spirit that you give constantly, that we're protected by. The teaching, the instruction, the discipline that comes from a loving Father. Lord, we thank you for it all. And Lord, today we ask you again, by your Spirit now, you have a word to encourage us, to instruct us. Lord, take the meager, the meager material that I have. I put it into your hands. Bless it, I pray. Without your blessing on it, it is nothing. It can do nothing. It can achieve nothing. It's dead before it comes out of my mouth. But Lord, with your anointing and with your spirit and with your help and your help alone, it can revive the heart. It can bring hope to the hopeless. It can make ashes into beauty. With your anointing and your spirit alone, Lord, your word in my spirit can live. But other than that, it is a dead letter. Lord, I pray and I ask you, Holy Spirit, come into this room, into this moment. Holy Spirit, weave your word into the fabric of our lives. Let it be living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Because your word is not a book that we read like any other book. Your word is a, is a, is a, is a word that reads us. It reads where we've been. It reads where we are. It reads and tells us where we're going. We're not reading just any book from any shelf. We're exposing our lives and opening our hearts to the living, sacred oracles of God. And Lord, I pray that you would speak over my voice into the spirit of your people. Lord, I thank you. It doesn't matter where we've been or where we are or where we think we're going. Our lives are in your hands. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And it doesn't matter what opposition is in front of us. It doesn't matter what's against us because you're for us. We can confidently say to the things about us, if God is for us, then who? can be against us and we thank you for it come on church let's give him praise in this place let's give him praise in this place let your praise be loud 
Let your praise be fierce. Let your praise roar. Let your praise be unashamed. Oh, let your praise be free. This is the place together in the family of God where we should celebrate, where we should praise Him, where it should be unhindered. Hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated. And let's give our worship team a huge thank you. Do you know what? Isn't it great to have music? Do you know the church would be a very dry place? And our gatherings would be such a dry place. I was thinking about that this morning as we were singing. It would be such a dry place without music. Music is from God. Music is there to bless us and to soften things and to warm our hearts and to bring us in and to bring us close. It's great to be together this morning. I'm going to continue this morning just to encourage you from God's Word. We started looking a little bit uh, before we went on holiday at the life of Joseph. We looked from Genesis 37. That's where the Bible picks up on his story, on the history of his life. And we began to consider some things about Joseph's life. He gets this incredible dream from God. God pulls back the curtain and he begins to show him what's going to happen in his life. That's wonderful when God does that. It's amazing when God takes back the curtain and begins to show you some things about what he has designed your life to be. And this is what he did with this young kid at 17 years of age. I've often wondered when I think about Joseph's life and when I've read about his life in Genesis 37, starting there, I've often wondered, you know, where he got the dream. Usually, when we dream, we dream when we're in bed, in the comforts of our own home. When our body is resting, we, we dream and we think and we're asleep and we get all of these images and all of these things coming into our mind when our body's arrested. And I'm sure it was the same for this young kid at 17 years of age. This dream came into his life when he was rested, when he was still in the middle of the night, he gets this amazing encounter. Maybe before this dream, Joseph didn't really think that his life was, you know, going to amount to anything much significant beyond his father's favor. Joseph's father was Jacob. When you read the Bible, you see that Jacob had a very clear, definite plan for his son. He was a good dad. Even though he had a bit of a checkered past, he was a schemer, he was a bit of a thief, and he ripped people off. But he loved Joseph. He loved Joseph. And when you begin to piece the pieces together, you see that Jacob, Joseph's dad, had a vision for this kid's life. And as a result of all of the ambitions and aspirations that Jacob had for Joseph, he makes him this amazing coat. Anybody heard of Joseph's coat? Joseph's colored coat. And it's a sign of his father's favor. It's a sign of his father's love and care. But more than that, it's a significant sign to say, Joseph, I've got plans for you. My favor's on you, son. I've got plans for you. My ideas and my ideals for your life are set 
and they're clear. So maybe Joseph thought that, you know, before he had the dream that God gave him, maybe he thought that his future lay within the domain of his father's house. You know, lots of times in life we get an idea of what our life should look like. We get an understanding and a picture and we put the pieces together and we make our calculations and mentally we have an idea of what our life should look like. Look like. We have hopes and aspirations and we have ideas and we have dreams and we, ha we set goals and we, we get a vision. And from all of those ideals and those aspirations and those things that we think about, we set our course. Would that be right to say? We set our course out towards the things that we hope are going to be in our lives. This kid, like us, would have had those aspirations whilst he was in his father's house. And those aspirations were, were coming to pass in that he had his father's favor on him. But suddenly, there's an interruption. Sometimes God interrupts things. Sometimes God steps into the picture of your life and makes some changes. Sometimes God rearranges the plan. Sometimes God's plan tears up our plan. Sometimes our ideas and our aspirations and our hopes and our dreams and our visions and our goals slowly begin to fall apart and, and get ripped apart by others as a result of God's interruption. This is what God did to Joseph. Maybe today your life hasn't turned out the way that you wanted it to. Maybe today there's a lot of regrets. Maybe today you think, well, you know, I, I had all of these aspirations and I had all of these places where I wanted to go, where I wanted to get, and suddenly before you, it's all in pieces. Suddenly before you, the dream has been ripped up. Suddenly before you, those, those hopes that you, that you had in your heart are no longer real. They once lived. They once burned in you like a passion. They once were, were so strong within you that you could communicate them to others and you could articulate to others exactly what you wanted to do and where you wanted to go and what your life was going to look like. But in the course of time, that hope has been broken, has been torn apart, and life doesn't look the way that you thought it would. Life hasn't turned out the way that you planned it to turn out. Could I suggest to you today, maybe God is doing more behind your back than in front of your face. Maybe God is using all of the complexities of life to shape you and make you and to bring you into a place that He has designed for you, that you may not have determined to go to, but He has designed and His interruption has brought you on this path and on this journey. Just like Joseph. You know, when our hopes, the Bible says that when hope is deferred, the heart becomes sick. 
basically it's saying when we become disappointed, we have a desire and a dream and an aspiration and suddenly it comes crashing down. And as a result of that deferred hope, our heart becomes sick. Our heart goes into a hard, dark place. Do you know, God can revive, the Bible says, a smoldering wick, a smoking flax. He can bring alive again. Joseph gets his dream torn up. He tells his brothers, he can speak it well. He's got a good memory. He can articulate it. He tells them in detail what he's going to do. His dreams told him that he's going to be powerful. He's going to be elevated. He's going to rule. He's going to have authority. And in a, in, in a way, it was telling them that he would be above them. And for that, the Bible says in Genesis 37, they hated him. They hated him. And then suddenly, strangely, he goes on this journey. He has no idea that God's behind it all. He gets taken by his brothers. He's stripped naked. They use his colored coat. They spat it with blood and use that as evidence against him before their father saying to his dad, listen, a wild animal has destroyed your, only, your, 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 your son. Then he gets thrown into a pit. He gets taken to Egypt. And his life... I'm sure, I'm sure, goes on a journey that he never thought it would go on. And suddenly, he's being manhandled, and his life is going in a direction, not as a result of his choice, but as a result of God's intervention, as a result of God's interruption. What's it like to see your life being broken apart. What's it like to see your life being pulled and rearranged and reshaped and transformed and conformed into a mold that you don't want to fit into? That's a painful thing. But that's where Joseph was at. Now, we may never go through the challenges and the trials that this young man had. They were fitted to his specific purpose, which was incredible, incredible what this young man did and where this young man went. Many of us here, probably all of us, will never go on the journey. There may be one. Most of us, I would say, probably will never go on the journey that this young man went on. But we can receive strength in our trials. We can receive strength in our troubles by looking and reflecting on where he went. He didn't understand any of it. He didn't understand what he was going through. But do you know what? Joseph's life stands as an amazing testimony of God's grace, of God's care. Of, of God's favor, that no matter what situation you're in, like Stacy said, you may be in a wilderness today, that's the very point and place where God will meet you with His grace. He will bring you free, free, through. You may feel weak today, you may, you may feel despised, you may feel absolutely awful today, and you've got nothing left within yourself 
to go on or to go through. But it's in this point where God meets us. It's when we are weak, that's when we are strong. That's what the Apostle Paul said. When we are weak, when we are at our lowest, that's where God's grace and God's care and God's aid comes to us. And that's what it was like for this young kid. He was at his lowest. He was at his weakest. Not just for a day or two. You know, I mentioned last time that it's great to have a promise from God. We've all, I'm sure, felt that and, and sensed and heard that whisper of the Holy Spirit giving us a promise. This is what I'm going to do for you. This is what I'm going to bring you into. This is what you're going to see in your lifetime. A promise. But very often there's a price tag on that promise for it to be apprehended. There's a price tag on that promise for you to enter into it and receive its fullness. What is the price? What is the price tag? I'll tell you, part of the price tag is patience. It really is. Patience is a big price to pay. It really is. To endure to the end, to walk into what God has planned for you, just to be patient is a wonderful quality, a wonderful strength. It's a, it's a heavy price to pay, to be patient, to wait, not seeing anything, but still believe. The Bible says it's through faith and patience that you inherit the promises of God. If you, do you know what? If it was just through faith, anybody could do it. If it was just as a result of faith that you inherit the promises of God, you would have had them a long time ago because you believed the moment that he spoke to you. But when he spoke to you, you didn't see it for a day, a month. You haven't seen it now, maybe for 10 years, but you're still holding on. The faith of God is still alive in you. It's been beaten. It's been, it's been kicked. It's been thrown to the floor. But the faith of God is still alive in your spirit. And what's happening? You're paying the price of patience. And you will inherit that promise that God has spoken to you because it's through that faith and that patience that you inherit everything that God's got for you. Can I say this to you? You look at Joseph's life and what do you see? Patience. Patience. You don't ever, this is what amazes me when I look at his life. You don't ever see a young kid complaining. You don't ever see a young kid turning on God in bitterness and anger. And sometimes we do get angry. Sometimes we do falter and stumble. And we turn to God like David and just, and just let it all out. God's fine with that. He hasn't got a problem with that. He encourages it, in fact. A good clean out. But Joseph, this young man of 17 years of age, you look through his life. He went through trial after trial after trial for 13 years. 13 long years, and yet you never hear a critical remark coming from his mouth. You never hear this young man getting defensive over injustice and over acts that, 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 that he was exposed to that he didn't deserve. The Bible says that, that, that there is a time to speak, but there is a time to be quiet. 
and to hold your, your tongue, to hold your opinion. And what I see when I look at this young man is a young man that could hold himself well. Thrown in a pit. He wasn't screaming at his brothers. Thrown in a pit. He wasn't, you know, in any way vengeful. Then in Potiphar's house, the Bible says he went down into Egypt. Potiphar bought him as a, as a slave. And there's an interesting remark that the Bible makes regarding his life. It says, but God was with Joseph. God was with Joseph. James says this, that God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This young man was so humble. He was crushed. You couldn't be proud in the position that he was in. God had brought him and led him in a strange way. And suddenly now he's humble. He's at rock bottom. Do you feel at rock bottom today? Do you feel lowly in yourself? Or maybe you can look back at a time where you've been at that lowly place. God gives grace to the humble. He resists the proud, but he assists the humble. Joseph's life is a story of having God's assistance on his life. It's a story in some ways of being set free. When God gave him this dream and when God took him on this strange journey, he set him free. He set him free to live in a pit. He set him free to be sold as a slave. He set him free. What did he set him free from? The vision of his father. The vision of Jacob. The vision and the plans of a man to be exposed and to walk into all of the plans that God had for him. But the plans that God had for him were way beyond what he could think of. He'd seen the greatness of that plan in the moment of the night when he slept in his bed, but he didn't understand the process to get through to apprehend that plan. But God set this young man free. And a whole lot of trouble came with that freedom. And maybe God has set you free in areas of your life to go into and to walk into the plans that he has for you. And things have got harder, not easier. Paul said this, it's no longer I that lives. What a painful statement. We quote it, we say it, we sing it. What is it like to see your life being torn apart? What is it like to see your idea and your picture of life not work out in the way that you thought it would work out? It's painful to no longer live. But in order for Christ to live, he said, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives in me. In order for Christ to rise, in order for Christ to manifest, in order for Christ to live in all of his fullness, we have to die. And it's not something that we can do in and of ourselves. It's something that we're led in. Joseph died. He went deeper and deeper and deeper into the place where God wanted him to be. One man said this, 
that contradictions, the contradictions of life, reveal who you are. This young man was contradicted in every place, in every area of life, mentally, physically. The moment that he started to succeed in Potiphar's house was the moment that a slanderous accusation came out, of, out about him from Potiphar's wife. And suddenly, he's taken and he's thrown into prison again. His life is not working out in the way that he thought it would work out. Suddenly, the moment that he gets just a moment of favor, a moment of success, Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything that he had because Joseph was in charge. Suddenly, he's thrown into prison. He goes into prison. The amazing thing about this young man is that Whilst his dream is broken and torn and ripped and non-existent now because he's in prison, he starts interpreting other people's dreams. Maybe today your dream is broken. Maybe today your dream, you think, is far gone. It's over. It's in pieces. That may be the case. Are you willing to interpret the dreams of others? Are you willing to champion the lives of other people even when your life has gone on hold? Even when your life is in darkness? Even when your life is suffering? Even when you're in a prison that you know that you shouldn't be in? Are you willing to serve others who have received insight about their life? That's what this young man did in prison. It's incredible. The strength and the life and the favor that he had. God was with him in the prison, the Bible says. And he was given charge over the whole management of that prison right there and then. Maybe at our lowest moment, when we think that our days are spent and gone, it's time to release and to serve and to bless the dreams of others. And that's the message, part of the message that comes from this young man. Let me read to you words from James chapter 1, verse 2. from the J.B. Phillips translation, a paraphrase of this chapter. James is talking about falling into trials and temptation. He's talking about going into tough situations as a Christian. And he says this, when all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let the process go on until that endurance is fully developed. And you will find 
you have become men and women of mature character with the right sort of independence. And if in the process any of you does not know how to meet any particular problem, he has only to ask God, who gives generously to all men without making them feel foolish or guilty. And he may be quite sure that the necessary wisdom will be given him. James says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Joseph's life is one big trial. He falls headlong 13 years into a trial, into a crisis where his life comes under severe testing, under severe crisis. Did he count it joy? Was there a smile on his face? I don't think so. Do you know, we don't associate joy with trials. We don't associate joy with crisis. When was the last time you said, hey, fantastic news, everyone. I'm about to fall. I'm about to be tried. I'm about to come under scrutiny. My life is about to be tested. What I've built is about to get pressure on it to see what I'm made of. None of us associate a fall with joy. None of us associate going under inspection or under pressure as something to get excited about. But James saw something else in this whole process. James wasn't looking at it from a natural perspective, but James, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saw it from God's perspective. And he said, count it joy. When you come under test, when you come under trial, when you go into difficulty, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And he goes through a list of attributes that are produced in us as a result of the difficulties of life. Can I say to you that the crises of your life today and the difficulties and the pressures that you face that are coming on your life are producing not just negative things, they're producing qualities and attributes and things in your life that you need within your character that God has control of. I've never associated falling with joy, ever. From, from a young child, when I was running down the road excitedly and I fell over myself and, and I went skidding and my knees got grazed and there was cut and there was pain and there was tears that wasn't a joyful experience. When we fall into difficulties, we don't associate that necessarily with something to be joyful about. But James, James the apostle saw something that is produced in all of the difficulty, it, through all of the pain, that is formative and necessary for our Christian lives. Peter, the apostle, had a real big problem just like us with suffering, with difficulty, with trials. Jesus, talking to them one day about who people said he was, asked them that question. And Peter comes out with this incredible statement. You're the Christ, Jesus. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus encourages him and says, 
flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven has given you this revelation about me. And then Jesus goes a little bit further. He says, now you understand that I'm the Christ. Now you understand that I'm the Son of the living God. Let's, let's take you a little bit further into the plan that God has for the Christ. Let's take you a little bit further into what this whole thing is about, Peter. And this is where Peter's dream came to an end. This is where Peter's dream and idea of himself and his position in Jesus' team was quickly ripped apart. Because Jesus began to talk about the suffering that he would undergo at the hands of sinful men. And then he went one step further and says, listen, boys, I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'm going to rise. They didn't understand the whole possibility and the reality of the resurrection. All they heard was, what? This is the height of your fame, Jesus. We're all on the bandwagon with you. This is our dream. This is our lives. We've, we've left houses. We've left, we've left families to follow you. We've left businesses. We're in this with you, Jesus, to make something for you and for us. And now you're telling us you're going to die? And Peter rebukes Jesus. Wow. He rebukes Jesus. Stop saying that, he says. You know the story, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter did not associate joy with falling and suffering and death until after the resurrection. And in that moment, in that moment, years later, he writes two letters, first and second Peter. You can check it out. Here's a man that rebuked Jesus for the notion, for the idea that suffering was part of the Christian life, the Christ life. Here's a man that, that, that took Jesus aside and said, stop talking like that. Stop it. Suffering, death, that's not part of the plan. We've got big ideas. The crowds are following us. The multitudes, the, the power, the sick are all being healed. Stop it. And yet years later, after being filled with the Holy Spirit, he writes two letters, first and second Peter. Do you know what they're all about? The joy of suffering. The joy of suffering. An amazing transformation in the mind of a man that had his life completely redefined by God. He had an idea. He started out with a plan. He started out with a vision. He was in business. He was strong. He was energetic. He had a vision for his life. And then suddenly God got hold of the vision and ripped it all up. And redefined him. And whenever Peter talked about suffering in his letters and crises and difficulties, he always associated it with glory and blessing. Amen. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. We're going to close right here. Do you know there's lots of occasions in the Bible 
where you see God deliver people. It's a history of deliverance. You open the Bible, turn into the Old Testament, and you, you read how God mightily delivered Israel from Egypt. Incredible. Deliverance. Deliverance. You read about how the walls of Jericho fell before Joshua and the people as they entered the promised land. The first obstacle, the first great challenge, the first intervention that was needed by Joshua from God. Suddenly they sing praise after a number of times of walking around those walls, they, they shout. And suddenly there's deliverance. The walls come down. There's triumph. There's victory. God is a delivering God. We believe that. The psalm says he's an ever-present help in times of trouble. That's the delivering nature of God. We've got record in our lives that he's a deliverer, that he's a savior. That's what salvation is. He comes in to your, to, to your life and he delivers you. He delivers you. He sets you free. There's an intervention, a sudden change. You can go through the Bible and you'll see countless times where God just steps into the crisis and he delivers. He delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. Delivered them. Delivered Daniel from the lions that should have torn his body apart. But strong in faith, he went into that place, unbending, unrelenting in his faithfulness to God, thrown into that lion's den, and God delivers him. The Bible has so many stories of God delivering people. Peter in the prison, sleeping. Angels have to wake him up. He's waiting on death's door. Suddenly, the whole place is opened as the angel just walks through and opens the doors. God delivers, God delivers, God delivers. You could look at so many occasions. My question is this, why didn't God deliver Joseph? Why did Joseph have to go 13 years? Is there some things and some times where God doesn't deliver us? Yeah. Yeah. There's probably as many occasions in the Bible where God didn't deliver people as when he did. So what is he doing when he doesn't deliver you? Why are you still going through that trial, that problem, that issue? Why hasn't it gone away with a quick prayer? Because you know that the nature of God is to come into a crisis and come into a problem and deliver you. I want to put this to you. Sometimes God isn't so quick to deliver us because he wants to develop us. He wants to develop us in the process, in the trial, in the difficulty. And that's why it doesn't go away with a quick prayer. God will use the most unusual things to bring us into a place with him where we're close and near and dependent. This development, not necessarily deliverance, 
But this development generates dependence. And a day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, dependence on God was generated in Joseph's life because he wasn't suddenly delivered, but he was developed. He was developed. The troubles and the crises and the difficulties that we may have gone through, that may have smashed apart our dream, are there to develop us and to bring us through and to redefine us and to bring us into everything that God has called us for. Amen. I'm going to pick up a few things from this next week. And then the week after, we got Pastor Ray. Fantastic. It's going to be brilliant. Do you know? But when we were away, how many people were blessed by Dale? Dale's ministry. Come on, Dale. Fantastic. And then Dave Morgan last week. Isn't it great that God... We're in this house together and God is raising up ministries to feed us, to equip us, to help us on our way. And you know this morning, that's what he's done again. Again, faithfully delivering the word to us through Stacy, giving us hope. There's grace for today. You may have come in here in one way, but I'm telling you now, the Spirit of God has infused you with his life and given you, given you strength. Father, we thank you today for your presence in this place. We thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the openness of your people, their open heart to listen to what I've said. Lord, I pray that your word and your strength and comfort has gone into their hearts. And Lord, we may not be necessarily where we want to be today, but Lord, we thank you. that You never leave us. You never forsake us. You're holding our hands. And the plans that you have for us are not plans of evil, but plans to give us hope and a future. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing. And listen, if you're here today for the first time, you may never have asked Jesus into your heart. After this service, come down and see me. I'd love to pray with you. If you want to ask Jesus to be your Lord and your Savior, I'd love to pray a prayer with you to ask him into your heart. But church, we're going to have a great week this week. Let's lift our hands right now and let's sing in his presence as we go. Come on, church. 